Hope FM, Faith-Filled Radio. Well, my next guest uh, actually is Peter Keg. You've heard me introducing him in the previous hour. Peter uh, will be known to many of you as the former Chief Executive Officer of BCHA. Under his leadership, that organisation grew uh, tremendously. But, of course, it was only one job that you had, Peter. You've had many, and we'll be able to reflect on some of those things. And, in fact, even now, in so-called retirement, you're probably as busy as ever. <laughs> But let's begin with your faith journey. Uh, you, you share one thing in common with my previous guest in the sense that, that it was Billy Graham uh, who, who began to uh, present you with the gospel. And, of course, that was to begin major change in your life. That, that's right. I, I went, I'd, I'd started going to a, a very open brethren church in gospel, Middlecroft Gospel Hall, um, through a, a friend at school, actually, my parents didn't go, didn't go to school. They'd stopped during the, to church. They didn't. They'd stopped during the war. Anyway, I'd started going there, and I'd sort of learnt what it was to be a Christian, but I'd never made a commitment. And then one Saturday morning, I was in bed, and my mother said, um, "There's a, a coach waiting for you outside." I said, "Really? They want? They're going to London?" And I'd forgotten that I said I'd be going <laughs> to, to Billy Graham. <laughs> So well, I you went, were quite young, weren't you? <laughs> I was twelve. So I, I I got up and 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 got on the coach. I was amazed they actually waited for me, and then went to the White City as it was. Uh, there was the Wembley in the evening, the afternoon, and when after Billy Brick Graham had spoken, I just felt a really strong desire to give my life to the Lord, and I went forward and I was counselled and prayed for and so on, and. From that point on, my life changed. Um, I'd always been, my family were not, were sort of non-swearing, non-dirty jokes, the whole thing. No, and they're they're good start, people. They were. and But I just started, I was in the first year at the grammar school, I just started thinking it was clever to tell dirty jokes and start swearing. And, and that was the first immediate change. And it wasn't just a change of mind, it was a change of heart, a change of direction. And it was also the, it's also been the basis of my whole life, foundational. It's interesting, really, because I was talking to David, my previous guest, yeah. uh, about because he also went forward. Actually, the same year, yeah. although he was at, he was at Wembley Stadium, you went to White City, yeah. um, uh, uh, because I think you said they only did one set of meetings at the White City, whereas the evening meetings were at Wembley Stadium. But of course, many people criticised Billy Graham in those days because of the what they called emotionalism, the, the choir singing, uh, you know, just as I am, and all that, and always, it'll never last. Well, it seems to have lasted it with you and quite a few thousand more people as well. Yes, it, it was a major change in the country at the time. And I'd been going to church for some time by then, probably about a year, two years maybe. And um, But I'd never made a commitment. And it, it, was, it was actually that, being born again. And so... Um, I didn't feel any emotion, as it were. It was just uh, I knew it was, that was the time, and uh, so uh, the, <laughs> uh, when I was at school, uh, my nickname became Holy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, of course, to get that, and and you were on the threshold then, of course, of your teenage years, because yes. being 12. So what were those teen- teenage years like? Were you able to get encouragement, get extra teaching? Oh, it was absolutely fabulous. I, the church that I went to, I mentioned Middlecroft Gospel Hall, um, they had a whole range of things for young people. And uh, 
there was a Friday night meeting, which was brilliant, a young people's meeting. And then every Saturday, or su- almost every Saturday on Sunday, we had rambles or cycle rides. And we also, on that, had memory verses and learning a portion of scripture. So um, the, the whole process of being part of that was just amazing. But these rambles and cycle rides, as well as verses of scripture and, and, and passages to, to answer questions on for your house, um, we also always played football when we got to wherever we went to, and we did all sorts of amazing things, including cycle hockey and so on. Well, of course, as you know, I used to work for the YMCA and, of course, the roundedness of body, mind and spirit. I mean, yeah. it's important, isn't it, you know, to, to, to have fun and, and also, you know, to, to keep your body in shape and, and whatever. So were you passionate about your walks and your football? Uh, I, I, I loved going on these rambles and cycle rides. And I, over the period of time, um, I've just the guy who led them wrote a book each year of an account of each ramble. <laughs> so it's an annual. So you've got a library at home. <laughs> well, he, he died last year. And uh, I, fortunately, the family let me have all these books. So I've got a, a pile of books. So I can look back at all these rambles that I went on. So we know, and, we know who to come to if we want to have some exciting walks around the country. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just just incredible. And, and we did, we, for cycle rides, we, we lived in Gosport. But we'd cycle to uh, Lyndhurst at at Easter time and we'd go over the Isle of Wight on the ferry. So it was local stuff, but it was also, I mean, imagine a 12-year-old cycling uh, from Gosport through Southampton to Lyndhurst and back again, together with about 40 others. (laughs) With no one getting, we had no accidents in all the years that we were doing it. Mm, good, clean fun, and of course, wonderful exercise as well. Well, it, it created great friendships, and we've still got those today, and mm-hmm. and still maintaining that. And it also says somebody because they're you're, the youth leader, the chap who died uh, yeah. last year. Of course, an example of how somebody who puts their lives into young young people, and uh, and actually the fruit that comes from that, because you're not the only person I've interviewed that was in the same <laughs> youth group, you know. But uh, but the impact that, that is made just by people investing in other folk is incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. And the, the other thing about it, it, there was about eighty or so young people in the group, and and less than ten were actually from the church. So the other. Um, 70 plus were from non-christian or non-church backgrounds and uh, we we had just had great times together you're listening to community now on hope fm with keith jones bookshop serving the community for over 50 years visit keithjones.co.uk and of course, my very special guest, uh, second guest today is Peter Keg. Peter, amongst other things, of course, the former director of BCHA, Bournemouth Church's Housing Association. He's got a lot more in his career, which we'll talk about if we can get it all in. But we left you in the youth group. And of course, many, many high points there. But one particular high point, when a certain young lady uh, was to come along, you had been a, a long-time member of the group. She was new, not necessarily from a Christian background. But I think a certain Peter was attracted to this young lady. Yes, um, I, I was very friendly with, well, we were a very friendly group of people. We did lots of things together. And um, Sylvia's sister, uh, Valerie, was had been coming for a while and then uh, Sylvia her older sister 
when she was 17, she decided she would come. And that's when I first met her. And um, it was some time before we actually got together, but she was would have been a year above me school-wise. And, but by then, she'd been hairdressing for two years in an apprenticeship. She was a real, um, I think what people would call a good time girl. And so coming along to the youth group, we had a youth service as well. It wasn't, it wasn't games, it was a service. And uh, she, um, initially she said, oh no, it wasn't for her. But some little while after she came, she was on a cycle ride on a Wednesday evening um, and with a, another friend of hers. And this other friend, this, this uh, Jill, she led Sylvia to the Lord. And everything changed from then on. It, was just, it wasn't just a change of mind. It was a change of heart and a change of aspiration, everything. And, and Sylv became very much involved with the youth group. She was given responsibility and took it and so on. And she was the beautiful person who was way, way uh, too good for me. <laughs> well, she obviously wasn't too good for you because you were later to marry that beautiful young lady. <laughs> That's right. It took a little while. <laughs> How long? <laughs> and a few stops and starts. But, but, but we started going out with each other when we were both um, uh, 19. And um, it was... Uh, it was just wonderful and our aspirations were so similar and so as you say we eventually got married we were only 21 we got we got married um but our we wanted our home to be an open home we wanted to be a place where people a, a place of hospitality for people and um, we wanted to live our lives in a way which pleased jesus seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That was one of our early texts. Your clarion calls. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll come back to Sylvia later on, and uh, I think it'd be appropriate to finish with her as a tribute to her, because Sylvia's in heaven now. And uh, yes. But uh, but we'll we'll come back as there's such a lot to, to share. Let's talk a wee bit about your career. I mean, I know that, that certainly you. All the time I've known you, you've been passionate about the poor. You know, yes. uh, and of course, was that what led you into into wanting to be involved in the world of housing? No, um, I, my passion when I was at school was to go into engineering, and I started doing a student. It was cars, really, but I started doing a student apprenticeship at Portsmouth Dockyard. But after two years, I'd failed completely. And this friend of mine worked for a Fairham Urban District Council, and there were two jobs going one costing clerk and one a housing, junior housing assistant. And he said, he's a good friend of mine, but he said to me, I think you'd better go for the costing clerk job because you don't know how to talk to people. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> so I went for the interview and told them I wanted the costing clerk job. They then invited me back in and they said, we'd like to offer you a job, but we'd like you to do the housing job. What do you think? I said, oh, that's it. Yeah, I'd like to do that. And I started doing it. I didn't know what it was, housing, at that stage. Um, but within a, a month or two, I absolutely fell in love with it. I loved meeting all the people. Uh, and then it's the, there was a technical side which suited my engineering So you were interest. good with people then? Sorry? You were good with people. Well, it, if, I don't know if I was or not, but 
after a while of meeting hundreds of people, you get to talk to them. And and you just it, it was perhaps that's what also changed me. But I just I loved it. And um although I was only eighteen at the time, they uh there was only a few of us in the department and the boss used to trust me with lots of things. And uh yeah, so that's um So humble beginnings. Yes, very but, much. But and I've, accidental. I, I just feel it's an for me it's always been an example of how the Lord intervenes sometimes when you don't know he's doing it <laughs> yeah well funny if we were talking about that earlier on as well because even yeah. from the partner that you mean your case sylvia yeah. uh, and uh, it's only when you look back on these things that you yeah. actually see the the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle falling yes. into yeah. place you know yeah but of course the the, the the modest beginning that you had in in housing was then to lead you into management and uh, and of course, before you you actually arrived in Bournemouth, you were, became a director of housing for Eastbourne Borough Council. So that was quite a responsible job. So were you were you responsible then for all of the housing in the borough? Yes, I I I, I in my career I move from different places, different authorities, and I passed my professional qualifications, and I became a fellow of the Institute of Housing, and um, I then got a job as initially deputy housing manager in Eastbourne, thinking I'd have to move after about four years to get promotion. But in the event, uh, that was 69, by 1974, I'd gone from, I think it was fourth tier to first tier, and I was director of housing Mm. in 1974. And I was only 31 when I got the job. And did Eastbourne have its own stock? Oh, yeah, we had over five, we had 5,000 houses. um, And just... Uh, just before I, at the time I got the job as director, we'd just bought 200 acres of land. And one of my responsibilities was to oversee the de- the development of that. And one of the things that I did was um, encourage the councillors not to rush. They wanted, the, the leader wanted to build 500 houses a year. But I'd, I'd, al- I'd already seen by then that, if you overbuilt, then you you just house people because you've got to fill them. And what I did was did a forecasting exercise, and we ended up building about 150 a year. Mm. And uh, it also meant that the, la- the land lasted longer, and we could help people for a longer period. Hope FM, faith-filled radio. Peter, I think, was it 30 years in, in Eastbourne cutting your teeth? Of course, you weren't just building houses. You talked about planning, but I guess that planning was so important because you're not just building houses, you're building community, aren't you? Yes, we, we were building new estates. So we, we were doing... Um, I, we also had a policy of, of not putting children in flats, so we're just only in houses. But we built mixed developments so that there would be uh, some flats and lots of houses. But we also d- tried to make sure we've got schools there. We uh, we had a community. We built community centres on these estates as well, and they were my responsibility. So I was director of housing, health, and community services <laughs> by the time I left. Just just small local authority responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, of course, there's always been a pressure, and still is now on councils, isn't there, to 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 build a quota of housing. But I guess the the the, the problem with all of that is that, that there can be a pressure to build, but maybe not allowing time for that strategic planning that that of course you were able to do over those over your career. 
Yes, the, we we had we had the two hundred acres of land I mentioned earlier. So there was, we we had a real sense of direction about developing these. We also didn't we did we did sell some of it, and and we also inv- invited a housing association. Well, we invited bids from housing associations, and we selected. Uh, one to do that so it wasn't just us but we were providing you had lots of partners yeah yes Mm -hmm. lots of partners and it was a very secure time and people were being rehoused within 18 months of putting their name on the list and uh, they could plan their lives which is great or or that we could do that today (laughs) (laughs) now of course you were only simply cutting your teeth then because (laughs) because god had other plans for you uh, sending you to the the wonderful uh, town of bournemouth uh, and to uh, what was a relatively small and struggling charity so what was it that made you decide to to leave your high flying posts and 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 to come to come to Bournemouth and to become the 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 chief exec of that charity. Well, it, it started with um, with our, our home group. Uh, we've been we 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 put aside a week to be prayed for people to be prayed for for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I volunteered to go forward on that. It was my own home group, but I. Um, you, were, the, you were the first, the first victim. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was the first volunteer, and there was also one of our elders there, and we prayed. And my wife read from uh, Luke about uh, Jesus, um, the, the the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to to, uh, to preach good news to, to the, the poor. poor, and that absolutely you know it was a passage of scripture i was aware of but it had never impacted me before but that was major good news to the poor and and how could i be good news to the poor and that eventually led to me taking early retirement in order to uh spend more time working with in in the christian environment but helping the poor and i became chairman of the church's national housing coalition i was involved with another organization called habitat for humanity which built homes with homeless people and sold them to them at cost and with zero interest mortgages at a time when mortgages were six or seven percent and it was just amazing uh, to be part of that and i learned a lot through them as well they were american based company originally uh, charity originally and then after about i took this early retirement then after about 3 years or so my wife said to me whatever you left work for i don't think you've yet found it and i said but i'm doing all this stuff she said, but i don't think and she had such spiritual perception i took it seriously and then about Three weeks later, I was reading one of the housing magazines and and I read the adverts, which I never did normally. And there was this job advertised for chief executive of Bournemouth Church's Housing Association. And they were looking for a practicing Christian and they were helping the most vulnerable homeless. So the job pretty much could have been written, was written for you. Yeah. And so I I was in my office then working at nine o'clock at night as a volunteer. So I took it in. To, to my wife this advert I said is that the sort of thing you're thinking about and she looked at it she said yes and I said really I said you're willing to move 120 miles along the coast in order to do that she said yes the adventure begins yeah so I I prepared an application uh, 
but not utterly, still not utterly convinced. And I waited until the last day and sent it off. And then the really strange thing is that the guy, the the, the BCHA had asked uh, someone to do the recruitment exercise for them, and the guy rang me up. And it turns out that I'd met him when he was an algo organizer, and he'd won uh, arguments for, against, against me. Uh, for I wanted to introduce staff development interviews, and they didn't want it. And uh, so I met with them, and we actually did introduce it, but they were modified in the light of our meeting. But I'd met him through that. And so when he rang me up, he said, are you serious? <laughs> and I said, yes. I said, are you? Because I'd been retired by, no, it was four years by then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was 57. I thought I was maybe too old for it. And he said, yes, we are. And uh, so um, I came for the interview and it was tough on two days. Wow. And I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so you went in and, and, of course, I mean, obviously, we'd have to have a whole other program to talk about the, the, you know, the, the tremendous development. Because BCHA then did see tremendous development, still is, of course, a developing yes. yeah. or- organization. It must have been a real encouragement, though, to you. Because uh, right at the heart of it there was, was this wanting to, to do something for the poor yeah. and for the needy and yeah. so on. And, of course, you managed to achieve that over those years that you were with BCHA. Yes, very much so. Um, when I first came, there was um, a lot of... Um, uh, disquiet by staff because of the advert and the advert because of the Christian bit the, the, the practicing Christian because it was church linked and not not a Christian organisation and so uh, I I couldn't uh, be very I couldn't press a, the Christian position strongly but that was my personal position and uh, so w- what I when I first had the first meeting with the managers of BTHA and it was in supervision by the housing corporation which means it could have been closed down and over the advert and all that stuff so I shared with them my values and uh, starting off with openness and honesty and uh, the importance of every individual and and all those kinds of values and I thought the, might, the reaction might have been, oh, you know, there he goes. Yes. But in fact, Pan I sat the there completely um, just listening to every word. And it turns out that the, having those, having my values, that then became, we put together values of the organization, were transformational in the whole organization. But again, isn't it surprising? Because I guess that some people would say, you know, you've got, you've got to be evangelistic and go in with all guns firing, you know. But actually, to 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 uh, to, to do what you did and focus on values, which people, of course, could share, yes. even though even though they themselves would maybe not have, well, would not have professed to be Christian. In fact, maybe the opposite at the time. But of course, as you say, that transformed in time the organisation. Yes, the values became the bedrock of the organisation. And I, I've said in the past, we, re, we worked to the values, we recruited to the values, and we sacked to the values. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, so it wasn't just all about being soft. I mean, mm. occasionally when people weren't being open and honest and so on, then it was yes. demonstrably so. 
we had to do something about Which, it. Which, of course, would be the same in any organization, wouldn't yeah. it? You'd yeah. have to deal with people who, who basically yeah. were not pulling in the same direction as everybody else. But also we've, we found that b- because of the values and they were, we, they were very clearly stated and they were constant with the organization, people started to join us because of those values, whether they were Christians or not. The values of openness and honesty, the importance of every individual, um, and and quite a few others were just life-affirming. Let's change tack and go back to that wonderful young lady that, that you married, and who obviously clearly was, was used by God yeah. in order to confirm the direction that you were to go in. Yes. Uh, and I, obviously, um, I, I guess that Sylvia and you would have been joined uh, at the hip in many, many different ways. But of course, sadly, she was to be, to be struck down with, unexpectedly, of course, with a terrible disease. Yes. That must have been very difficult for both of you. It was incredibly tough. Um, Sylvia had been feeling a bit tired. We'd, the two of us had just been leading a, a group from our church. There was nine of us. Went to Burkina Faso uh, to have a two-week uh, to help a local Christian group in there. And while we were in Burkina, Sylvia found, suddenly found she was struggling to get in the minibus. And then when we, that was in March when we came home. Uh, we went back to the hospital over the issue of weakness. And then on the 1st of June, she was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And that was, we just, that was very, can't describe how tough it was. And of course, it's a progressive disease, isn't yes. it? So you, so literally you, you bought, you, well, you would have had to watch as it took hold. Well, and, and, and Sylvia knew, we both knew it was progressive, um, and but we started very quickly to get lots of support from the Motor Neurone Disease Association and uh, Macmillan Caring locally, and we'd read various things. And one of the things that we'd read is where people are diagnosed, the quicker they got their accommodation made suitable, the better it would be. And so, um, although Silver at that stage could still climb stairs and so on. Uh, we decided to uh, make our front lounge the bedroom and we converted our our um, ground floor cloakroom into a wet room. And uh, it all seemed very premature at the time. But the, the moment that Sylvia needed the wet room, it had just been finished. And everything was just done on time like that. It was amazing. Back to the timing issue again. Yeah. Hope FM, faith-filled radio. And, of course, uh, we left uh, just talking there about Sylvia. And in the early days, of course, of her diagnosis with, with uh, multiple neuron disease, uh, how did she cope with it? It was very, very tough um, for both of us. Um, I'd, I, I'd, the moment she was diagnosed, I stopped my involvement with anything outside our own relationship and and just focused on being together with Sylvia and um, we we had a motor home at the time so we actually managed to go to France in the September uh, in June and also the September and by then we'd got a wheelchair and we were able to take that on the back an electric wheelchair got, took that on the back of the motor home and she was able to spend time there with the grandchildren but um, she 
we came home and in October she fell and broke her arm uh, going to the toilet and that was the last time she walked but just the day before she fell we'd got a wheelchair vehicle so the timing was just amazing and we we struggled almost like on death row and then in the January we went we had a week of prayer at our church God first in Christ church and we had this week of prayer and we both went and something happened during that prayer meeting which changed our whole perspective and it suddenly we had that sense of knowing God. Uh, God knew what was happening and we weren't on death row. And um, we were sharing, we, we read our Bibles together most days and we were reading in Esther. And we, we read about how Esther was, being, was, take, was prepared to meet the king for a year, to be with the king. And Sylvia said, that's me. I'm being prepared. And that was, it was, people would come to visit her and would be blessed by her cheerful disposition. I remember, I remember seeing her, you know, because she always had that smile yes, uh, yeah. on her face. <laughs> and I guess it's that, that, uh, that I suppose like everybody else, there was an apprehension about perhaps, you know, dying and going mm-hmm. to be with the Lord. But, but she always seemed to ha- carry that with tremendous faith, which would, of course, been a tremendous inspiration and no doubt a comfort to you as well. Well, yeah, not only was the Lord preparing Sylvia, I'd got no idea how I'd be when she died, whether I'd be broken and unable to cope and so on. But actually, I was able to continue. And I realised that actually, not only was he preparing Sylvia, he was preparing me. Mm. Now, she was to write a book. Yes. Uh, which you have only just published. So, what, what, so was this a, a, something that, how, why did she decide to do this? Was it because she wanted to leave a legacy for the grandchildren? Yeah, the, the, the children in France were very special and she wanted to write a story of their lives. And it, the book, uh, she wrote it when she was actually had motor neuron disease, she typed it. She couldn't write at that stage, but she could use the keyboard. And um, uh, I, she asked me if I would find a way of publishing it and I, and I'd, I'd tried and failed and then uh, last October I was on a walk with someone a church walk and met a new guy and he said he'd published a book I said how do you go about that and uh, and I told him why oh he said I can help you with that and uh, <laughs> so the book had to be designed all the photographs put together uh, and uh, it was eventually printed and it arrived I was in lockdown in France, and it arrived on my birthday, uh, middle of April, um, all printed, and I was able to uh, promote it, its sale, uh, to raise funds for Macmillan Caring Locally. And to date, we've raised almost £2,000 through that. Mm, that's amazing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how do people, if people wanted to get is, is it a, a popular book? Would it be something that outside of the family people might want to read? Yes. It, it, if you go onto the Macmillan Caring Locally website, uh, you can order the book. And it's called Florence and Isabel in France. <laughs> and it's a story of, and it's some, um, well, I, it, for me, it, just seeing it in print and reading it felt like a page turner. So you'd love reading it, and you'd be the whole of the proceeds go to Macmillan. Well, sadly, time has uh, has eluded us. What was the title of the book again? 
Florence and Isabel in France. Oh, yes, fantastic. So what's your, what's your final word? Then, Peter, you have to come back and tell us, uh, you know, some more. But, I mean, obviously you sit there not as a man distressed, but as a man, you said about being prepared, yeah. you know, and I guess you, it's one thing to, to know that God has prepared a place for us, but actually you do really know that, don't you? Very much so. Um, it, after... After the celebration for her life, there was about 300 people there, and it was an amazing occasion. And even Sylv was one of 10 children, and one of her non-Christian brothers said that was inspirational. And the next day, I woke up, and it sounds a bit corny in a way, but I I I thought, this is the first day of the rest of my life. And and so um, it was, I didn't know what would happen at all I had no plans but the ways opened up for all sort to get involved in all sorts of things and one of the things that unexpectedly I got involved in was sport <laughs> <laughs> for more inspirational interviews podcasts and hope fm best bits visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again